All right, everybody, good to see you. Special welcome to you if you're new. Good to see you again if you're not. Uh, if you want to stand up and worship with us. Sorry, we do have a video first. So glad you can make it out this Sunday. We're in the process of making a new updated church directory. The forms were sent out with the newsletter in the mail, but you can also grab a copy on the table outside of the worship center. Starting on Sunday, February 14th, there will be a Lent guide available, but if you would like one beforehand mailed to you or emailed to you, please contact the church office before the 14th. On February 21st at 2 p.m., the Kids and Student Ministry will be holding a free event at the Alliance Movie Theater. Space is limited, so be sure to sign up if you are interested. That's all the announcements for today. Enjoy the service. All right. All right. Let's, uh, let's pray and then we'll worship. Father, thank you for this day that you have made. Thank you that we get to come here. Thank you that we get to hear about your son. Thank you, Jesus, for all that you did, accomplished all that you were victorious over. Um, I know that a lot of us come here with burdens. Let us not merely leave them at the door, but leave them before you. Uh, grant us the grace to do that today, the faith in you to, to present you with the things that only you can deal with. And thank you. Help us to see your victory today and help us to have just a gospel encounter with our God and 
in gospel encounters with each other. Um, sanctify your word as we, as we hear today and prepare our hearts for worship, not only for the rest of the service, but the rest of our lives. Start doing that work in us today and continue doing that work in us today and help us to be all the more susceptible to it, to you. And it's for your wonderful name we pray. Amen. <coughs> Have a seat, everyone. Good to be with you guys today, and hopefully everybody's, oh yeah, got to dismiss the kids. Kiddos, it is time for you to fly. Fly like the wind, okay? Anyhow, 
I'll just reset what I tried to say a minute ago. Um, and that is, glad to see everybody here. Hope everybody's doing well. Good to see you guys online. Hope everybody's doing well at home. And uh, it is winter, no question about it. And I would say that uh, February is probably the longest, shortest month of the year. And I have like a February battle plan that I go through, and that is uh, my wife and I, we just pick a project to work on to try to distract us from the fact that we can't go outside and, and, uh, and play. Uh, so we are, uh, we are redoing a, a part of our basement that uh, needs a little bit of attention, and hopefully uh, by the time February 28th rolls around, uh, we can have this thing in order. But my wife, however, who always has an imagination that's much more active than my own, suggested that perhaps we can have it done by Valentine's Day. So no pressure, but it's definitely going to put to the test <laughs> my skills or the lack thereof when it comes to refurbishing uh, uh, things that have to do with uh, interior design. And I don't know how well I'm going to fare but I'm guessing that after I get done with this project, I will get some notifications in the mail saying um, there's been a recall on your work. And I don't know if you've ever had a recall uh, that's been given to you in the mail. Uh, you know, if you drive a Toyota or Honda or some other vehicle, uh, occasionally you get something from the Toyota Corporation saying that there's a recall on, and I've had this happen with... Uh, airbags lately. It seems like all the airbags got to be replaced on my cars because somewhere along the way the testing that occurred regarding the airbag and its efficiency and perhaps its capacity to not to save you rather than kill you uh, didn't, didn't quite accomplish what the test facility said that it would. And the thing that I appreciate about Automobiles in general, though, however, is the fact that so many things do work. And as you get in a car and you turn on the ignition, there's a whole lot of unseen things happening that enable that vehicle to just start and then prepare to uh, take the journey on the road. There's all kinds of sensors and signals and things that have to coordinate and collaborate that are just going on in the background. And if they don't happen, well, then your car is going to leave you at the side of the road. And if you're a mechanic, you probably can relate to what I'm saying. But if you're not, you're like, hey, I just get in the car, I turn on the key, and if I have heated seats, I turn those on too. End of story. And it's like so many things, we don't know that it is even a thing or that it's working until it's not working, right? Well, did you know that people that design automobiles take a very extended amount of time to rigorously put them through the paces, through all kinds of conditions, in order for that automobile to perform sufficiently and adequately and hopefully excellently uh, under the conditions that you and I and all the vast kinds of drivers out there will put that vehicle through. And it's a lot. And it's necessary. But what's interesting is the fact that testing isn't just something that engineers do for things that they design. It is also something that God does in your life and mine every day. Because believe it or not, as much as God loves you and I, where we are at and wants to, wants to draw us into his family through his son, he also, like we do our own children, he also expects us to become something that will reflect his purposes in, um, in the best way possible. And as he does that, he takes various moments of your life and mine on the timeline of our lives, and he says, this is going to be a time for testing. Now, whenever we think about testing, not too far away from that notion of testing is also the idea of temptation. And have you ever prayed the Lord's Prayer? And if you have, 
there is a part of that prayer that says, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And it's a little confusing, I think, for believers sometimes who are just starting out to think, well, God, how can you be responsible for tempting me and leading me into temptation? And it's an interesting question, and I think it's one that you and I have to wrestle with and hopefully understand, uh, because it's the the, the process is, is it, it it's it involves different forces that are at work in the testing and the tempting process, and it involves two parties that are actually totally against each other, God and Satan. And we find in the storyline of Jesus' life, he shows front and center what it is like to pray that part of the Lord's Prayer and lead us not into temptation by, by, by basically demonstrating that experience in the beginning of his ministry. Right out of the gate, there is a time of testing. I just want to kind of throw it out there for starters, that James tells us that God does not tempt us. But that's a little different than testing. And so I want to explore that with you. If you have your Bibles, uh, feel free to turn to Luke chapter 4. In Luke chapter 4, just like in Matthew chapter 4 and Mark chapter 1, the gospel writers included this significant episode because I believe that it has bearing on your life and mine if we, like our cars and like Jesus, are going to be tested to see what is there. And this is what we read. The, the title over it is called The Temptation of Jesus, which is what, what it really describes. And so let's explore this a little bit together. And, uh, and, and we'll do that by reading some of the elements here. So last week, if you recall, Jesus was baptized, and he was called to ministry. And as a result of that, you know, the Spirit descended upon him like a dove. And after that, he was then full of the Holy Spirit, and he returned from the Jordan where John baptized him and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days. Let me just stop right there. If you hear the word 40 and you think about the Bible and the story of the Bible, what events have happened in the Bible that have the number 40 tagged on to them? Can you think of any? The flood? Okay. Flood happened 40 days, 40 nights. Anything else? Any other 40, maybe not days? How about 40 years? Anything happened for 40 years? The wilderness. That is exactly where I'm going with this. The wilderness. And where's Jesus at right now? In the wilderness. And who else was in the wilderness for 40 years? The Israelites, after they came up out of Egypt, right? And they were tested, right? Did they have food? No. So who did they have to trust? God. Did they have um, Moses for about 40 days whenever he went up on the mountain? No. And so they had to kind of trust that Moses and God had everything uh, in order, that they had their backs. But for some reason they decided, we're getting nervous here, we need a God, and we're going to make a God. You remember that story? And then there was something else they did while they were there that really got under God's skin. You've been in the back, have you ever been in a car for a long time and you got kids in the back of the car or the minivan and they start complaining and then they start fighting, they start grumbling. That's a good time, isn't it? It's a good time to just sort of pull the car over and say, uh, this is where we part ways, guys. Good luck with the rest of your life. But you can't do that, can you? You have to deal with it. And God dealt with these guys when they grumbled. And Jesus is actually 
doing something that is so loaded with so much backstory that we have to explore that for a second before we get into how this answers the question, what does it mean to be tested and what does it mean to be tempted? So just keep in mind as I'm reading this that Jesus is basically showing us a pattern here of 40 days or in one sense the 40 years and he's embodying everything that is the hopes and the aspirations and all that people anticipated for God and what he promised to Israel. He's trying to do something that will, that will fulfill all of those things that were promised in the Old Testament and to do it right. Okay, so that kind of uh, gives you just a little bit of a sketch of where we're going and probably creates more questions. But just keep that wilderness experience of the Israelites in the back of your mind as we carry on with the, with the reading. So, being tempted by the devil, and he ate nothing during those days. Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Do you know of any stories in the Bible where the devil directly went up to a, a person or persons and tempted them? Um, with food. Adam and Eve. Okay, so seems like that's kind of coming to the surface too. And did they pass or fail? Failed, well, not just miserably. You know, my wife has a, has a phrase because she likes to evaluate the things I do. And there is pass. Sometimes there is like excellent, but that's pretty rare. Then there's fail, and then, if it's really messed up, there is epic fail. She said, oh, that's an epic failure. And, uh, but, you know, I kind of I kid about that. My wife is actually a very, very supportive person, so don't get the wrong impression. But she will point that out because she's just a realist. And if it's an epic failure, that means, yeah, we got a lot of work to do here. And Adam and Eve were an epic, epic failure. So you got failure in the wilderness and failure in the garden, and then you got Jesus going through a series of tests to see whether or not it's going to be Takata airbags Maybe you haven't gotten the notification. Um, whether or not it was going to be a recall from the factory once again, or whether it's going to get sorted out so we never hear about it ever again. All right, you guys with me so far? Because this is sort of the backstory you got to appreciate, because believe it or not, it has a lot to do with you and I. So here we go. And so, and when they were ended, he was hungry. Now, this is the moment that the devil says, it's time to do my dirty work. Is he going to tempt you with food when you're full? Probably not. Is he going to tempt you with food if you've eaten fast food and you've got indigestion? Especially not. He's going to tempt you when you are weak. At that weakest moment, he's going to show up and say, oh, now it's time because you are vulnerable. And the devil said to him, if you are the son of God, oh, there's another, there's another point right there. I mean, I'm not going to, I won't do this over and over through this whole thing. I will try to get through it. But keep in mind, he's saying, if, if. I'm not sure. Are you sure? Are you sure you're the Son of God? Now, when Jesus was baptized, do you remember what that voice from heaven said? This is my Son, right? And when you are baptized, 
Guess what God says to you? You are my son or you are my daughter. So our identity is pretty bound up in that declaration. But there is a whisperer who wants to come alongside you and I every day and cast doubt on the question, are you really a son or a daughter of Jesus, or of the Heavenly Father through Jesus? So let me put it that way. Or does God maybe like those other people, but because he knows you so well, he's not happy with you. Now that will happen because the whisperer wants to cast doubt on your identity and mine, wants us to feel very insecure about whether or not we are held in the grip of God's sovereign care, especially in this season that we're in. All right, so identity, let's just put that out there. Now, the devil said, if you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. Now, as um, the devil is plotting his way of tempting Jesus on these fronts. It's actually paralleling what we read uh, in the book of Deuteronomy and the book of Exodus where the Israelites were tested in these ways. And it is a way of basically, well, let, let me just tell you the backstory of what's going on. Because temptation is from the devil, okay? Testing is for proving that we are solid in our identity. And that's really up to you and I, okay? And what is happening here is both a temptation from Satan and a test that God is allowing to happen to validate how strong we are. Because, my friends, along the way, God will take you and I through tests to see where we're weak and where we're strong. And if you've ever been tempted and you failed, you know that probably God is going to allow that to happen again, but he's not going to do it. And when it does happen, it is a test. And what happens over time is we get stronger, don't we? Because we learn to trust God more. We learn to depend upon God. We learn to realize that life is not about just all we see, but it is also about those unseen things that go to define our understanding of who we are as God's children. You know, I can look at each of you but, I, but if I don't know you, I don't know your story. I don't know those things that have played a role in defining you. I mean, if you look at Diane Rude for just a second, okay, she's pretty mild-mannered appearing, but I'm just going to say this, and Diane may not be happy with me for saying this, but did you know that Diane used to drag race cars at the drag strip? Did you know that? I mean, that is an unseen reality that I just brought to the surface right there. And she's got the trophies to prove it. And there's a lot of things that go to define who we are. And I would say <laughs> that that doesn't define you, but I will never get in. A, if I'm at the stoplight and it's you versus me, I'm just going to say, uh, I'll just bow to your, uh, your greatness. But what I do want to say is it is those unseen realities that go into your story and mine that make us who we are. And those unseen realities are actually how you and I engage with God through the course of our time here on earth. 
And part of those engaging experiences involve testing. What Jesus wants to show us is that we can do it. We can do it. Now, I used to think of Jesus kind of like Superman. He would go and he would display himself as just an ordinary, mild-mannered Galilean, just walking back and forth to work with his dad. And then when he was called to ministry, uh, you know, he was, uh, he was normal appearing until he did something miraculous. But what Luke wants us to understand is that he, in, in all the ways that are necessary, is just like you and I. And he tells us that, that he is the son of Adam in the genealogy uh, in the last chapter. And he also shows us that everything that Jesus did, it wasn't like, okay, now here's where I'm going to conjure up my superpower. And I'm just going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to now uh, show you that I, I have instant access to everything I want. No, actually in John, Jesus says, I, I can do nothing except for the Father doing it through me. And so part of his limiting of his divinity was to, was, to, was to become like our humanity so that he would have the credibility to be who he is as our Savior. What happened at the, at the, um, sea of Ga- or at the, uh, at the Jordan River when he came up out of the water not only did the Father say, you are my son, but the Spirit descended upon him, enabling him to do those things that we can't do without God enabling us through his Spirit. And that's the key here. Because if you don't have God's Spirit, you will never pass the test. The Spirit is that essential ingredient to the Christian life. And Jesus is showing us that. So, full of the Spirit. It's the first time somebody's been full of the Spirit. Now, Mary conceived with the Spirit. John the Baptist, um, as, uh, as he proclaimed, had a prophetic spirit. But no one up to this point is mentioned as being full of the Spirit. That is, having that chronic, continual presence of the Spirit with them. The Spirit just appeared episodically to different people at different points in time, but now the Spirit is like with him, just like he is with you and I as believers. So when the testing happens, cooperating with the Spirit is essential for success in overcoming the test. All right, so hopefully you're with me still. And... I just want to. I just want to kind of show you how Jesus uses two resources. One is cooperating with the Spirit, and the second one is using the Word to pass the test. Because the devil says you're hungry, aren't you? And Jesus says, "Yeah, but that's not my primary concern right now." My primary concern is doing the Father's will. And so the devil said, well, I'm obviously not getting any traction. So let's move on to something that might be even more appealing. And he took him and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And said to him, to you I will give all this authority and their glory For it's been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it's all yours. Now, one thing we do know about this test, as we read the end of the gospel story, it is all his. God gave it to him. But he had to go through the critical journey of being faithful for three years to the calling that the Father put on his life. 
And at the end of that three years, he was tested again. The tempter showed up again. You know where he showed up at? He's getting ready to be crucified. But right before then, what happened? He looked at what he had to do. And he's in the Garden of Gethsemane. And that little voice is saying, you don't have to do this. The offer is still on the table. You can bypass the pain, and I'll give you the authority. And his, you know, his inner being is, is struggling with the fact that in his flesh, he's having to bear the burden of the responsibility of being crucified for the sins of the world. And it's overwhelming, and he is weak. But you know what he says at that test? Not my will, but the Father's will be done. And right now he's saying, you can bypass all of that because all of it's been given to me anyway, and I will give it to you. You just have to do one thing. Bow down and worship me, and it's yours. Do you remember the Israelites bowing down and worshiping anything besides God? The golden calf, which in their view of the world through Egyptian lenses, was a source of power and provision. And God's saying, no. Well, in this temptation, um, I don't honestly believe that Satan has as much as he says that he does. Because remember, who is he? He's the great deceiver, Right? Obviously, he has some power and he has some authority, but he's not as great as he thinks he is. His narcissism is a little bit uncontained. So Jesus says, um, you know what? Uh, no, it's written. You've got to worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And as the tempter is... Um, trying to just pull all the stops because he sees the points that Jesus might be weak at, hungry, aspiring to be Lord of everything. There's one last temptation here that we have to explore briefly, and that is moving on to the next verse. And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, Throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up. So he's quoting a psalm, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Now just keep this in mind. One of the things that God did for the Israelites in the desert was he said in, uh, in, 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 whenever he gave the, the promises of blessing, he said, I'm going to protect you. You're in the desert, and there are crazy wild things in the desert that will eat you alive. There are snakes, there are scorpions, there are all manner of weird, who knows what out there that can quite honestly devastate your humanity pretty quickly. Notwithstanding the fact that there is no water out here and there is no source for food. The desert is a very hard place. And God said, you know what? I will take care of you. And he repeats that a number of times to sort of give them a sense of peace of mind and sort of comfort in the fact that God's trustworthy. And God did provide for them, and he was trustworthy, and he did protect them, and he kept them from, you know, being overtaken by these things for 40 years. And I believe that God protects you and I, really do. But in that series of blessing and curses in Deuteronomy, um, the 28 and following, he says in the curses, those things that I am protecting you from, if you decide to live some other way, if you want to go a different direction and not include me in the process, feel free. But I have to, I have to warn you that when you do, it's going to rain down Armageddon on you. 
you're not going to realize just how powerful these forces of evil are that I'm keeping from invading your lives. And I can tell you as a believer, I know that there are things out there that could threaten my humanity. I mean, I could die from a car wreck. I mean, I, I could get a disease. Those things can't happen. But there's something about the peace of Christ that passes all understanding. That living in the sphere of that peace, I honestly don't worry about it. Now, I know some of you guys worry about my son Christian who's overseas right now. And we got a phone call from him yesterday, and he was telling us about sort of like the ups and downs of his work and all of that stuff. And then he kind of slides in at the back of the conversation. Yeah, I was out walking my dog, and uh, we were in a part of town that I hadn't walked before, and these three dogs came up. And usually the dogs will just kind of run away, but these three dogs, well, they, they, they formed a perimeter around us. And then they tried to ambush our dog. And he said, it really surprised me. I'd never seen that before. And uh, his mom asked, well, what did your dog do? And he said, well, my dog just got behind me. And, and so he's like, you know, just like our cats. But anyway, so one of the dogs came up and bit him on the calf. So, and he's like, yeah, mom, uh, my, my, my coworker said you shouldn't tell your mom that, uh, but he did. And he said, yeah, I'm, I'm on my third rabies shot. So, you know, he was wondering what our response would be. Mine was, I wonder if his insurance policy's paid up. Um, but quite honestly... We've prayed for that kid. He prays. He, he goes to church. He's doing what he needs to do. That's all we can do. Um, and, um, and, and if you've ever watched the show The Office, you know that um, according to one of the episodes, only four people in the United States a year die from rabies, but that's a whole other sidebar too. All of this to make a point, that there is a sense of overwhelming, profound peace that covers the life of a believer because the Holy Spirit is active in our lives and the Father is overseeing our lives, that we have to live in that sphere. We know that we live in a world that is broken, that is filled with testing and temptation, but we trust God that he will have our backs along the way. And we don't lose sleep because our God watches out for us. That is a deep and profound truth. But what the devil is trying to do here is to say, yeah, your, your Honda Ridgeline, it works well. It works so well, but you know what you ought to try to do? You ought to go out in the country, set up a ramp, see if you can jump that creek. That would be fun, Right? I mean, that car is certified to work. Shouldn't be any problem, should it? And wouldn't that be fun? And there's a part of me that says, yeah, that would be fun. I've also seen videos of people doing that kind of stuff, and I realize it doesn't always end well because you're just being stupid. There are times when we're stupid, and that's out of, Sheer ignorance. And God watches out for us because we just obviously need some help. And there are times when we are being stupid. And God is saying, you're stepping across a necessary boundary of protection. And into a space where you're willfully saying, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play with the devil a little bit. And that's all that's happening there, is he's leveraging scripture against Jesus. I mean, have you ever had somebody say they're upset with you, and so they they weaponize a Bible verse against you? You know, they quote it, say, yeah, you ought to pull it together because it says and blah, blah, blah. 
this needs to be the case. And it's not really the best way of using Scripture. And that's what the devil does. He takes the Bible, the very thing that you and I respect and revere, and if we're not careful and we don't read it in its context and in the larger uh, um, context of God's purposes for your life and mine, we can get confused about that Bible verse. But the thing we know about Jesus is he made a habit of spending time in the Bible so that he could understand what was going on in it. And you and I are encouraged every year, at least once a year, hopefully not, not less than that, to spend time in the Bible so that we can understand what it says. But not only that, so that we can allow it to shape how we respond to the testings that happen in our daily lives. And as we do that, we get stronger, and it defines us, and it becomes a necessary part of the process of solidifying our faith. You see, the devil, the devil will tempt us for the purpose of derailing our lives. God will allow the devil to tempt us as a form of a test for the purpose of building our lives stronger. And it's just a form of resistance from that point of view that's necessary for us to continue to be strong. You ever get really good at something? I don't know what it would be in, in, in your case. But, um, you know, on the, on the side, I, I, I try to work on things mechanically. And you probably heard a little bit about that last week. And I've had moments where I felt like I'm really dialed in and I'm, I'm just feeling really good about this skill set. And then I'll just forget about it for months. And then I'll try to just jump right back in it. Guess what? It's like it's not coming back to me. Uh, I guess I'm, I'm guess I'm kind of fumbling around until I find my groove, and then guess what? It starts to come back to me. But like so many things, if you're not tested in those areas that you are called to exercise your skill set, it kind of it kind of goes away. The last thing I want to say about this story is that Jesus' job here is to be the faithful Israel. Tested like them in the wilderness, only he fulfilled the testing in a way that led to obedience and trust and faithfulness. Which made him the rightful king. The king like David, who would rule over the people in a way that was just and right and godly. And so the authority that God had in store for him that he gave to the disciples at the end of the story was rightfully his because he faithfully fulfilled his responsibilities and was deemed fit for the role of being Lord of all. And as Jesus is going through this experience embodying Israel, embodying David the king, and then embodying what it means to be a human like Adam, only with the empowerment of the spirit, he actually becomes the second Adam, the resetter of humanity, the one who we can turn to and say, in all things that we need in this life, he is sufficiently qualified to provide it including your salvation and mine. And this test is really just a way of validating that for you and I, that he's the real deal. He was true to his calling and his vocation. And God looked at that, and I'm sure there was also some angel with a clipboard and a lab coat saying, check. But what Jesus did for us in that, in that act of faithfulness, he's actually calling you and I to be faithful 
in what we do for him and for the people that are looking for him and looking to you and I to see whether or not our lives are a signpost to him. If we're faithful in our testing, in our temptations, our kids, people that are close to us, they'll say, oh, I wonder why you're different. I wonder why you have so much peace. I wonder where you get your joy. And it's because when we are living right with God and we are going through the time of testing, we are trusting him and we are saying a thousand times in the course of a day, Lord, help me, Lord, help me, Lord, help me. When we are saying, Holy Spirit, I cannot do this on my own, but I trust that you can as I serve God, all of these things are just a way of saying we are following Jesus through the wilderness, through the temptations, through the test, so that as we go through that process, not only does the Father find joy in that, because he doesn't have to repeat that with us again until we get it right, but people around us say, that is a person that I want to be like. And all we can say is, it's not me doing it. It's Jesus making it happen in me and through me. Well, there's a lot there to meditate on for sure. But I want you to know that God is in the business of calling us into a family that Jesus helped create. His faithfulness led to our redemption. And he actually became a great high priest for us so that whatever we needed spiritually, he is the one to make it possible. If we need forgiveness for our sins, he is our great high priest. If we need encouragement and validation and security, he is the signpost to the one who provides. If we need to know a sense of belonging, he is the one who invites us into his family. And the only requirement that he has for you and I is that we turn away from those other allegiances, those other idols, those other things that we trust as sure and steady guides. I mean, I'll just make one more, one more sidebar note. It's been a little frustrating this year because I know there's a lot of information out there about a lot of things that have to do with the state of the world. And most of the stuff that we get online and places like that, it's just not true. And whether it's conspiratorial or whether it's mainstream media, there's just a lot of stuff bundled in that that's just not trustworthy. But I've actually experienced division in this church because people have trusted that stuff more than together trusting this and together trusting the one who will lead us through all of this to the place where we need to go. It's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking to see a church break up over the nonsense that's out there when we haven't gotten together on our knees over the truth that is so profoundly here. But that's just another way that the one who is the deceiver tries to pull us apart. And the only way we can stay together, family, is to realize we are a family, right? Didn't we, did we learn that today? The only way that we can be strong is to realize that we ought to spend time in this word and we ought to cooperate with the Father, give our allegiance to him. And so perhaps it's time to maybe say, I'm going to trust the Father and the Word and the Spirit and the Savior more than I'm going to trust what is going on out there. And if you do, 
Maybe you'll find that peace you've been looking for. Maybe you'll find that sense of assurance that you've trusted out there to offer. It's not out there. But we live in God's kingdom, and it is far greater. Because all authority, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. And I just want to call you into that space or that we inhabit that is called life in him. And it begins with turning away from that and maybe stuff that is going on in here that you need to settle with him as well. And I want to call you into something far better that's eternal. It goes beyond the new cycle goes beyond this life. It lasts forever. And it begins with Jesus. Will you claim him as your Lord and Savior this day because he is worthy? Would you bow with me? Our Father, as we just come before your throne and we lay at your feet all allegiances that we have trusted more than we have trusted you. We lay at your feet all of those things that we are tempted by, that we fail in, and know that you have resourced us richly with your spirit and with your word. But we have to repent or we can experience the time of refreshing that your spirit and your word offer. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that a blood-stained cross is the means by which the curse has been removed, our consciences have been cleansed, our lives can be reset. Lord, I just pray for everyone here and everyone online who needs to do that right now. I just pray that you would confess whatever it is that you need to confess to the Lord, and that you would make a declaration of allegiance to Christ our Savior and to follow him and to say it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. May we trust those words, Lord, as we uh, prepare for the week ahead. And I ask this in Jesus' name, amen. this uh, quote uh, from Dr. Steve Lawson. Whenever there is a genuine movement of God, the Spirit of God will direct the hearts of his people to study his word. So here we are in the book of Luke. We're studying his word after the service. We're going to go a little deeper. Um, what was, uh, what's Christian's dog's name? Do you guys know? Kevin. We're going to call him Q because I don't know how to say that. All right. Yeah. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, so I'm listening, and Mandy tells me about this incident with the dog, and then Leonard reiterates it up here. And uh, you guys know what this, this, this theological term, uh, Christus Victor. And it talks about the intoning work of Christ and how he perfectly defeated the works of the devil and more on the cross. Uh, and the reality is that we need to go to him because we're like Q and uh, we, we need to go to Christ and stand behind our master. We need, because if Christian wasn't there, Q is toast, right? Three dogs, from what I understand, this is a little dog. Yeah, okay. Uh, either way, we have Jesus to go stand behind because there's a bully on the playground and uh, we need to go get our big brother because he's going to win. He has won. So that's where we put our faith this morning. Uh, even if your faith is already there, go again.
We never get tired of hearing the gospel. We never, as Christians, get tired of going to Christ. So, Father, thank you that you have sent your Son. Thank you that he comes between us and the bully, our great enemy, Satan. Thank you that though the Bible calls him a roaring lion, we have a stronger lion that we have access to, and by the cross you made him a toothless lion, clawless. You took away his power. And so for the Christian, we have everything that you have. We have a seating with God. We have a cleansed record only if we repent and believe in the gospel. So I pray that you would help us to do that work and uh, where we're angry about the gospel because we don't want to lay things down. Come to us in great grace and mercy and patience and help us through that. Take us by the hand, lift up our heads as a loving father that you are and deliver us. Your word says, through Jesus, you delivered us from the domain of darkness. So may the light shine. And may we walk in the wonderful kingdom, the son whom you love, finding salvation in him and him alone, and satisfaction and beauty, and rest in him alone. It's for his perfect name we pray.
Father, thank you for the work that you're doing. It might not feel like good work in a moment, but it was it's going to lead somewhere. So help us to have hope in that if that's where we're at with you and and you're softening our hearts. Thank you for doing that work and being merciful and gracious to us. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you won in the ultimate sense and bought everything that we present to God as our victory as well because you earned it. It's for your wonderful name we pray, hopeful for tomorrow because of the victory that you accomplished yesterday and the strength that that gives us now. And it's for your wonderful name we pray. All right, we'll see you soon. If you want to stay after for digging deeper, we'll see you there.